This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Ewart. So coming up, a new era dawns for rugby in Fiji as the FIU's board resigns en masse. There is a massive mismanagement, there's wild overspending and there is no direction or leadership seen on the document and this is an outcome of people just being led blindly. The rise and rise of Tongatala continues as they home in on a third Pacific Oz netball series in a row and seasonal worker Mark Niemack from Vanuatu enjoying life in AFL Cairns. I always wanted to play in a high level here in Australia. I just don't get an opportunity, so I came as a seasonal worker and I found out this opportunity. So I think if I have something, the Hawks want, who knows where I'll call next. We'll hear more from Mark Niemack later in the programme. First to South Africa and the town of Stellenbosch, east of Cape Town, which is hosting the World Rugby Sevens Challenger Series as teams bid to seal a coveted place in the core groups. There are 12 men's and 12 women's teams competing in two tournaments with the top men's team going on to a final qualifier in London next month, while the top women's team will gain direct entry to the World Rugby Sevens Series next season. In the men's event, the Pacific is represented by Tonga and Papua New Guinea, while P&G are the sole team from Oceania in the women's event. Both PNG teams struggled badly in the first tournament last weekend, but in the men's event, Tonga were dominant and finished up as winners. They'll start favourites, you would think, tonight to take out the second leg and book their place in that London qualifier next month. We can get the latest uh, from the Tongan camp now by crossing live to South Africa to chat to the team's uh, physio, Andy Farley. Andy, good evening to you over there in South Africa. Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me. How are you? Going well, thank you. And uh, I mean, Tonga seem to be getting better and better. I mean, bearing in mind, uh, you don't get to play a lot of matches, the Sevens team, to come out and do what, what they did last week, win five, draw one, win the grand final. Couldn't have been much better, could it? No, they've, um, they've actually had a really good preparation leading up to this. So um, they all kind of met in Auckland for a training camp leading into it. Um, Flew in probably a bit over a week before the tournament started and had a had a just positive week in, in terms of training and um, yeah came out on top. It was um, it was really good to see actually. All the boys are, are gelling really well. Um, injuries have been minimal, so um, they're in really good form and in really good spirits leading into um, the second leg uh, starting tomorrow. Now, of course, uh, they would love to go out there and win the second leg as well. Then you would be guaranteed that spot in London. But but you don't necessarily have to win two grand finals in a row. This 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 will be decided on aggregate points. So you might finish second, third, or fourth, or something like that, and still be able to qualify for London. So does that ease the pressure a little on the team? Yeah, correct. I think it does. Um, they're certainly going into this in a strong strong position. Um, and they definitely are feeling fairly confident at the moment. Um, but as you say, it kind of depends on on how all the other teams go as well. So um, I think Germany is, is second on points currently. So if they um, if they don't uh, fare quite so well in the coming few days, um, then we certainly don't need to to come through winning the final again to to qualify to go through to London. Be nice to do it that way, though, wouldn't it? And go get, go to London next month, uh, absolutely on, on a high. And um, how are the players uh, at the moment? I mean, obviously you're keeping a close eye on their welfare. Are they all fit and well and good to go for the second leg? 
Yeah, pleasingly enough, they they are actually. There's only been a couple of niggles that we've been able to manage really really well. Um, they've got a really just good cohesive um, and positive mindset. So uh, I think they're in a really good position physically and mentally um, leading into the next few few games. But it would be great to to try and go through undefeated um, and just kind of carry that momentum on. Fingers crossed through to to London. And they're in a pool this time with uh, Italy, Chile and uh, Jamaica. I mean, based on last mm. week's uh, performances, you would think Italy perhaps might be the team to look out for. Chile and Jamaica, if Tonga are on their game, shouldn't pose too much of a problem. Not that, of course, we should take any of this for granted, but uh, on paper, that's the way it looks. Yeah, it's hard to tell. There's been a bit of talk around Chile um, last week, being a, being a strong team. Um, so I think they might have fallen out uh, prematurely. So they're certainly one to watch, um, as, as Italy as well. Um, our first game's against Jamaica, so um, don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but uh, hopefully that's a, a positive start to the to the next few days. Clearly, we don't want to get too far ahead, but, I mean, you, you must have half an eye on what could happen in London if the team is there next month. And the way it works out, as I understand it, is that uh, the winner of this tournament will play the teams that have finished, uh, I think, 12th, 11th, no, 12th, 13th and 14th on the core group for this season. And it will be those three against, we hope, Tonga and whoever wins out of those four will go into the core group next season when it will reduce from 16 to 12. Now, looking at the teams that you're likely to come up against, um, Uruguay you've encountered in the past, then there's Spain, Kenya, Canada, Japan. Those are, those are the teams in the mix at the moment. And, and based on Tonga's performance when they appeared in the core group in, in Sydney and Melbourne, when you scored five and seven points on, on the ladder, if you'd kept that going over nine rounds, you'd be ahead of all those teams. So th- there's every reason, isn't there, to think that finally the sleeping giant of rugby sevens in the Pacific are going to get there in the elite again. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, in terms of the Challenger series, I don't think they've actually made it past the the quarterfinals, so they're all uh, ecstatic to 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 win it last week. But um, through the Invitational part of the Hamilton and Sydney Sevens a couple of months ago, they played I think the majority of the teams that you just mentioned there, um, and they came out with wins against potentially even all of those at some point over the over the couple of weeks. So if um, if it was playing up against those teams, then I think they actually are in a, in a really good position to um, to try and get into the to the circuit, to the World Series. And what sort of feedback is coming in from Tonga and indeed from the, the Tongan diaspora? Because they, they, they must be loving this. I mean, the, the Tongan rugby fans would love to see their sevens team up there with Fiji and Samoa. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's it's such a lovely um, community, and everyone's so supportive of them as well. So um, I think the, the the larger community, but but as well as just um, uh, their, their families as well. Um, we had one player's family come over from uh, from America for a few days to see a few games. Um, there's lots of messages coming through group chats as well of encouragement, support, and prayer, and, and everything. So um, yeah, I think it's uh, they're, they're doing really good things for. Uh, for for their country and their kingdom. Well, we wish you and the team uh, every success uh, starting tonight, uh, the, the second leg of the Challenger. Uh, they've won one. Why not win the second and then go off and do the business in London uh, next month? We certainly keep our fingers crossed for the side. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on Pacific Beat. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.
Andy Farley there, the physio for the Tongan Rugby Sevens team in South Africa for the second leg of the Challenger Tournament. It kicks off later tonight. Just a reminder, Tonga are in Pool A with Italy, Chile and Jamaica. But if they play anything like they did last week, it doesn't really matter who they play. Uh, you would think that they will be strong favourites to go through and win the Grand Final again. Let's hope so. Pacific Beat. Here with the Sporting Edition for this Friday morning with me, Richard Ewart. A new era for rugby in Fiji has begun. Now the entire board of the FIU has agreed to resign. This after the Attorney General, Saromi Taranga, stepped in and ruled that the organisation was operating illegally as a charitable trust. As well as the members of the board, it's understood that the FIU president, former Prime Minister Frank Bainimarama, has also agreed to stand down. Rumours about the board's departure were flying after the union's annual meeting scheduled for tomorrow was postponed. The news comes a matter of days after member unions like Suva and Natasiri voiced their lack of confidence in the way the organisation was being run. The FRU responded by refusing to consider any of the nominations or motions submitted for the AGM, claiming the union's concern had failed to comply with regulations. The secretary of the Suva Rugby Union, Nemeni Tuifangala, says now a full financial investigation can begin and he is delighted that the FRU is no longer in the board's hands. Yeah, I can agree to that. I think uh, that's what Suva wanted. Eh? Uh, it's simply to to correct the legality issue of Fiji Rugby Union as an institution. Then we can move on from there. Because uh, if you have that problem there and you can't solve it, then uh, you know, so it's no use going forward. And uh, that's what we wanted. And uh, yes, you can rightly say that yes, uh, it's a mission accomplished for us. But in terms of, of the way that the game is being run in Fiji now, I mean, where does it leave it? I mean, essentially, there is nobody running it at the moment. I think uh, now that they have established that it's not a company limited by guarantee, it's a charitable trust uh, still at this particular moment. So um, over the years, I think uh, we're looking at about like four to five years ago, there was a uh, initiative uh, proposed by the Fiji Rugby Union to transit from a charitable trust entity to a, a company limited by guarantee. Suva still feels that that's a very noble initiative. There is nothing wrong with that, uh, given the present environment of rugby uh, all over the place. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's a noble uh, initiative, we could say. But the transition was not fully completed. So... Uh, what we actually had proposed uh, for some time now to FRU is to correct, uh, you know, the transition, uh, establish uh, FRU to an entity that, uh, you know, and then can share that view to all the unions so that they will know. Uh, despite trying to say that to, to FRU, FRU remains uh, deaf and never wanted to hear. And uh, now everybody knows that uh, there's a problem there. So I think, uh, you know, in a way, uh, the Minister for Justice uh, as a keeper and also uh, the authority over the Registrar of Companies, Registrar of Titles, where the titles, uh, all, all, uh, all, all charitable trusts are, uh, are incorporated in and, and registered as the keeper of those two uh, institutions, I think they have rightly stepped in to dissolve the current board and uh, probably appoint the uh, trustees to come back to take its place and run FRU to try and complete the transition process, maybe. 
uh, if they wanted to. Presumably, though, what will happen now is there's going to be a, a minute examination of the FRU accounts, uh, and I'm, I imagine that is something that, that you and others in the in the member unions are very keen to see the outcome, because surely some of these board members, it's quite likely, are going to have some uh, questions to answer in the near future. I think uh, now we have completed probably phase one. Now we're going to come on to phase two now is actually the uh, proper scrutiny of the uh, audited financial account. So uh, there's a massive uh, work uh, that we need to do there. And we look at the accounts and, you know, Suba has actually uh, explored the document. And uh, superficially, we can say that, you know, there is a massive uh, mismanagement, this wild overspending of monies, and there is no direction or leadership uh, seen uh, on the document. And this is an outcome of uh, people just being led blindly and then use things, uh, you know, uh, the way that they wanted without any proper control mechanism. And uh, that's just, just on top of it. I think we haven't really looked at how those monies were were spent, the breakdown that we wanted. I mean, we so has actually uh, asked for the breakdown and uh, still right now they haven't uh, given it to us. And that's the second phase that we will look into. How important is it that uh, the president, uh, the former prime minister, Frank Bainimarama, is, is no longer involved with the Fiji Rugby Union? Because I think there were a lot of people that felt that both he and, and Francis Keane, of course, who, who was chairman for so long, still had an undue influence on the sport when maybe a lot of people would prefer that they didn't. Yes, I think them being there, holding the uh, positions of president and chairman, people were actually shut down. And voices were shut down. And the only two voices that they can hear is their own two voices. And uh, it's not good uh, when you do that uh, in a democracy. So has been very vocal about governance and transparency. When you don't do those little things, this is the outcome. And I think this is probably the tip of the iceberg, just from the um, audited financial account last year. The, the simple thing is this, like you were given $21 million to regulate your activities and you spent $22 million and you got into a loss of $1.3 million. See, you have to be answerable to that because when more is given, more is expected. Nemeni uh, Secretary of the Suva Rugby Union. Hold the front page! And uh, holding the front page for us this morning as we take a look at some of the headlines uh, across the Pacific uh, is uh, Evan Osuka, a producer of this uh, August programme, Pacific Beat. Morning, Evan. Good morning, Richard. So we'll start in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Prime Minister James Marape uh, not happy with the Post-Courier newspaper. So what's he had to say and why? Yes, Richard. So uh, a statement from the Prime Minister's office says he was disappointed with the Post-Courier's front page yesterday, which was about this breaking story about U.S. President Joe Biden's uh, visit in in May. Um, Mr. Marape says both the U.S. government and the PNG government hadn't released anything official about the talks had in, about that trip and that talks between the two countries were still going on. He said he was baffled why the post-career had jumped the gun and had let the cat out of the bag. And he said he continues to be disappointed with how the post-career covers national events. And he cautioned the post-career to report uh, sensitively on, uh, on certain matters. Now, in that statement, he doesn't confirm that the U.S. presidential trip is happening. But the interesting thing was his office had also released another statement at the same time. And in this 
second statement, the first line of it talks about Justin Chichenko, the foreign minister, will be attending the coronation of King Charles III uh, because Morapi will be busy at home preparing for a visit by the Indian Prime Minister and U.S. President Joe Biden. Uh, in that statement, he, uh, the quote is, I need to be here to make sure preparations are done on time. So um, t- two interesting statements out of PNG. Um, so perhaps not an official confirmation that the U.S. trip is happening, but per- maybe a roundabout way of uh, saying it is. Yeah, I think it's a simple answer to Mr. Marape's problem, isn't there? The reason the Post Courier did what they did is because they're a newspaper. And if they get a story, they're going to publish it, providing, of course, they've got sound evidence to support it. It looks like they have. Uh, now, there's a corruption investigation at PNG's Climate Change and Development Authority. Uh, this doesn't look good. What do we know so far? So this is an ABC story, and uh, ABC Us, we're reporting that senior staff at the government body responsible for PNG's climate change response are the subject of a criminal investigation for misappropriating $2 million. Uh, among those charged include the authority's financial officer, Ivan Ipe. Now, court documents allege that Mr. Ipe's wife, who happened to be magistrate, also had attempted to bribe the investigating officer into this uh, case. Now, the authority, is a, it's a government-funded body, which is also gets funds from the UN and contributions from conservation bodies linked to Australian businesses. Uh, this all came about because staff within the body uh, made complaints to authorities. Police are alleging that $2 million was misappropriated. Between August last year and March this year, around 150000 was allegedly spent on hotel accommodation in Port Mosby. Yeah, it's not a good look, isn't it, when the, when the Pacific countries talk about the money they need to, to deal with uh, things like climate change and if that money's gone astray in the way that it's alleged, not great at all. Uh, now, here in Australia, uh, in South Australia, I think the Northern Territory, if you collect empty plastic bottles or empty cans, you can get 10 cents a go by returning them to reprocessing depots and something similar is going to happen here in the state of Victoria soon, but bit different in Vanuatu. How mm-hmm. much would you pay for a coconut rhinoceros beetle? Well, 30 Vatu, Richard, that's the amount the Vanuatu Biosecurity Department uh, has mar- marked for coconut rhinoceros beetle. 120 Vatu for one kilo of this uh, pest. Um, so according to the Vanuatu Daily Post, this is part of the new campaign to hunt down coconut rhinoceros beetles. Right now, there's a big outbreak of this pest uh, after those twin cyclones in February. Uh, there's, there's a lot of damaged trees, especially in Efate Island. Uh, and this uh, beetle has been uh, pretty problematic, feasting on dead trunks. Uh, the director of biosecurity... Armstrong Sam is he's urging the community, NGOs and industry members to get on board this campaign. They're calling it a Cash for Beetle program, and it starts off in, on June the 10th. Um, and they're saying if you collect uh, these rhinoceros beetles, they can be brought down to the Department of Biosecurity in Port Vila. Uh, so, Richard, uh, some incentive there from the Vanuatu government to, to deal with a pesky problem. Maybe they should try it with the cane toads here in Australia. Maybe they already have, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how many beetles they get. So there you go, 30 vatu for a coconut rhinoceros beetle, 120 vatu for kilo. Evan, thank you very much indeed for the updates. Thank you, Richard. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. And it's the Friday morning sporting edition with myself, uh, Richard Ewart, and the rise and rise of Tonga Tala is continuing at the latest Pacific Oz Sports Netball Series being played 
here in Australia on the Gold Coast. The Tongans are on course to make it three tournament wins in a row after another dominant performance that has seen them sweep into the semi-finals without losing a game and with none of their opponents able to get within 10 goals. They take on Fiji later today for a place in the grand final and barring a huge surprise, we'll go on to play either Zambia or Malawi in the grand final tomorrow. Those two of the three guest African sides taking part. Watching the week's action unfold has been Netball Australia's Executive General Manager for Strategic Projects, Government and Community, Glenn Turner, who joins us now on Pacific Beat. Glenn, good morning to you. Welcome to the programme. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, this is such an amazing story, isn't it? I mean, the Tongan netball team this time last year were, were effectively nowhere. Now they're ranked number seven in the world. After this tournament, the likelihood is they could maybe move up into the top six. I mean, it is an extraordinary story, isn't it? It is. It's an amazing story. Uh, March twenty, uh, sorry, March last year, uh, their coach was actually uh, phoning players to come and play at the airport uh, the day before our very first Pacific Oz series. And um, between herself and the the crew at, at Tonga Netball Association, done an amazing job. The same squad of eighteen have been together, <clears throat> excuse me, for the last eighteen months, and they are just playing beautiful netball. And they've, they've done an amazing job. Great support from the Tonga Netball Association. Um, the Queen of Tonga um, refers to the netball team as her netball team. Um, so she, they have um, the Talas have got amazing support. They're playing really well this week. And they are getting better and better. Um, we have the World Cup coming up later this year. They will be in a pool with uh, Fiji who you would expect, based on what's happening this week, that they, they they will beat. Zimbabwe, you would expect them to beat. Then they play Australia. I mean, I guess <laughs> nobody's necessarily saying they're going to beat the Australians, but they could give them a big fright, couldn't they? Oh, look, absolutely. I think um, their World Cup campaign um, has well and truly been on track. And as you mentioned, they're in Pool A with the, um, Australia. But I think the having a conversation with Jacquois, their coach, in Tonga in December last year, um, if they finish uh, sixth in the World Cup, that's fantastic. But their aim is to finish in the top five. So that won't necessarily change their – this tournament won't change their rankings prior to the World Cup. Um, you know, the, the pools have been set. That won't change. But what it will do is it will set them up going forward because the ranking system works on a basis that the more games you play, um, then the more points you achieve for big tournaments. So um, – I'm, I must say I'm going to be be torn when I go to um, South Africa in in July. I've watched Tonga and the Talas play, uh, and of course the Diamonds um, also being our own our own team. But I'm just looking forward to some really great netball from the Tongans. Fiji, as mentioned, they will be at the World Cup, but but, but they, they look to be a team that, that's struggling at the moment. I mean, Samoa are probably the second best Pacific team this week on, on the Gold Coast. Uh, Fiji have managed to win a couple of games, but haven't looked convincing, I don't think. And, and Papua New Guinea, sadly, are struggling rather badly. So, I mean, there, there is a bit of a gap at the moment, isn't there, between those three and, well, a large gap between those three and Tonga. Yeah, look, um, I think as sports fans, um, what we do is our initial view is we look at the result um, and we come to a preliminary conclusion. But um, the performances of all of those countries, Fiji, PNG and Samoa, have have dramatically improved. When you look at how they've played during the four quarters from our very first Pacific Oz um, last year. So PNG, for example, um, really starting to gel as a team. <clears throat> Excuse me, they've halved their losing margins against Fiji and Samoa since the series began. Um, but they're also building their confidence and they're building their agility on the court. 
And, um, you know, as I've learned um, in this role over the last two years, it takes quite a while for the, the, the team to understand the players, to come together, et cetera. Um, Samoa's doing a great job. Again, same scenario. Um, it's, a, it's a great example where Samoa's um, created an opportunity to tighten their lineups, get their players on the court, going through, you know, different variations and so forth. And Fiji, again, you know, they're trialling new combinations, they're gaining experience against different playing styles and teams. And having the, the African countries uh, participate in this tournament is exactly what Fiji, Tonga, PNG and Samoa need because for the last couple of years they've been playing each other. Um, but, you know, with the, the inclusion of, of Malawi and Zambia and Kenya, um, it just mixes it up. So, look, I, I think overall, um, yes, I agree. When you look at the final scoreboard, you think, oh, you know, things aren't going so well. But the teams are actually getting a lot more confidence and a lot more uh, of their playing styles set in stone. And, and tell me more about the inclusion of the three African sides. Singapore also there as, as a guest team, but Zambia, Malawi, Kenya, they're representing Africa. I mean, it looks to me like the Pacific Oz Sports Tournament is growing into a very substantial event. Well, look, I'm not a statistician, and I, I was sharing with um, Kelly Ryan, our CEO, the other day, but we think this is um, outside of the World Cup the first time that three of the, the netball regions have been represented in a in a netball tournament. And that's fantastic, not only for the sport of netball, but, but for um, Pacific Oz Sports. It, it helps being a World Cup year. Um, the, the, the team running it for market development in my pillar um, contacted a number of countries from around uh, the world, actually, um, from Europe in particular. And um, when they contacted the African Nepal Association, they got some really good support from Malawi, um, obviously uh, Zambia and Kenya as well. And it was just great that we were able to um, logistically make that work. But again, it provides great experience for um, our Pacific Island countries, particularly for Tonga and Fiji heading into that World Cup. So look, fingers crossed. Um, I know that World Netball uh, and Claire uh, Briegel, the CEO, is watching this series um, closely and hopefully it can can continue next year. Um, and we actually have a lot of countries from around the world knocking on the door saying, hey, li listen, can we come and play? That would be the ultimate goal. So can you see this tournament getting bigger year on year? Oh, look, um, I must admit I haven't spoken to Ellie Seckhold and Rowan uh, who are running the competition. I, I think at the moment we are very cognizant of our obligations and our partnership with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade through the Pacific Oz Series. Now, our role is to promote and help um, our four Pacific um, uh, partners. But look, you know, I think the success so far of the series gives us an opportunity to think about our strategy going forward. Um, and if, if the aim is to continue to improve high performance netball in the Pacific Islands um, with our partners, and if there is an opportunity that's, you know, financially viable to bring or help bring some of these countries out to Australia, then I think anything's possible. Um, I've got to be careful because a lot over on the horizon in 2027, Australia will be hosting the World Netball Cup. So, you know, we just it'd be great to have a, a series of uh, high high performance netball games and tournaments beforehand. But you know, as we say in netball, we do one thing at a time and we make sure we do it well. So potentially, you know, maybe there is a, a, an opportunity before World Cup. We'll wait and see. And the semi-finals uh, due to be played later today. Tonga taking on Fiji. You would expect Tonga to win that game. Zambia versus Malawi could be interesting because they played each other yesterday. And uh, Zambia won by 50 points to 46 or 50 goals to 46, which uh, means that the lower-ranked team has beaten the higher-ranked team. But 
<laughs> if we assume that at the moment Tonga are playing so well that unless something drastic happens, they're going to win this tournament, there's been a story around the traps that suggests that uh, Monjurad, who has a Tongan heritage, played many times for the Diamonds, of course, for Australia. She's put her hand up to represent Tonga in the World Cup, but at the age of 43, I think she might struggle to get into this team, don't you think? Look, um, I'm going to leave that discussion with the Tongan Netball Association. That's something... <clears throat> excuse me, that they'll need to have a talk to Moni and Gerard about. Um, but back to Tonga, they are just getting better and better um, through this tournament. Um, as you mentioned last night, Malawi were uh, were beaten by Zambia. They play again today in, in the crossover part. But look, a- again, Tonga will go into the grand final tomorrow as favourite. Um, but as all of us as sport-loving fans know, you know, it's not over until it's over. So we wish we wish the teams the best of luck tomorrow, but there's been some great netball during the Pacific Gold Series. Absolutely, and uh, the World Cup is taking on a whole new dimension for followers of netball <laughs> here in the Pacific. It's going to be fascinating to see what Tonga do. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us early morning. I know you must have been up pretty late last night, so we appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Richard. Nice to chat. That's Glenn Turner there, who's the Executive General Manager for Strategic Projects, Government and Community at Netball Australia, reflecting on the Pacific Oz Netball Series being played on the Gold Coast. And a big, big surprise if Tonga don't come away with the grand final win over the weekend. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paolo Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music from across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fale, Fridays at 2pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Right now, though, we're focusing on sport. It's the Friday morning edition of Pacific Beat. I'm Richard Hewitt. Thanks very much for listening wherever you may be listening and however you may be listening. So many different ways to do it these days. Now, round 10 of Super Rugby Pacific this weekend has been designated as Culture Round and all 12 clubs will be showcasing the cultures of their teams through dance, music, language and cultural jerseys. The fans are being encouraged to embrace Culture Round too by getting involved in the activities at games, by wearing cultural attire or simply by carrying a flag that represents them. It promises to be a big occasion for the Fijian and Drua who take on the Blues in La Toca tomorrow afternoon. And they'll run out wearing jerseys specially designed by the artist Anare Samumu. He first worked for the Fiji Rugby Union back in 2018 and has been called in again by the FIU's Head of Strength and Conditioning, uh, Natha Thawanabuka. He asked Anare to come up with a jersey that reflected the Andrua's core values. As an artist, I've always been painting about culture. It has always been my subject. So when they asked me to do designs that uh, reflect uh, Fijian culture, for the Ndrua, it wasn't something that uh, I was not uh, used to. It's something that I stand for. So I was really happy to do it. That, that This gave me the opportunity to relay cultural messages or my own view on culture on a wider platform. So I was really honoured to be given this task. So to what degree were you, as it were, given a, a free hand with the design and, and to what degree did uh, did the team and particularly uh, Natha Thwanabuka, I mean, what, what did he say to you about what he felt should be in the design? When you asked me to do it, gave me the, the core values of the Nandrua, that they wanted the designs to address core values of uh, integrity, discipline, steadfastness. I uh, was to design some designs that would uh, symbolise those things. 
then I had uh, one draft, and then we ended up with the final design. So for those people who may not have seen the jersey yet, and I doubt there are too many followers of rugby in, in Fiji who haven't, but uh, for those who may have not, c- can you describe the key elements in the design and, and what it looks like? Okay, the outer design are fortification. I'm from the Kaunrobe province in Fiji, and uh, for us, our totem is the shark. And that's why I've put Shakti as the symbol of our fortification. Most of the time, our fortification is supposed to be pointing out towards our adversaries. But uh, in the design, it is pointing in. That's to remind us that our enemies, most of the time, are ourselves. Sometimes we forget the inner challenges, the inner enemy. We focus too much on the outer. And then inside, there's a war club and also a, a pedal. Those are war clubs. It's the weapon of our forefathers that use and do to travel around. That's something they have as a totem every time they perform their entry dance before games. The captain is holding a pedal. So in the design, I've incorporated that to represent discipline, represent order, represent ferocity, to psych up the players and, and also psych up everybody who's part of the Fijian Rua. Straight after the pedal is the sau. The sau in our culture is an item that attracts blessings. It's made up of uh, cowrie shells tied with uh, mangi mangi, coconut fiber. I'm using it there to attract God's blessings. The Rua outfit has a strong belief in uh, God's power and divine involvement in the way they carry out their game. Also, the cowries are different colored, are multicolored, instead of just white cowries, to represent everybody who, who now call Fiji their home. And uh, beneath that is the sail of the Nrua, which is also the logo that represents the, the Nrua team. And then underneath is the waves that represents our challenges. The only what our players uh, on the field playing rugby, we don't know what individual challenges they go through in life. So is it your hope that as well as being an outstanding piece of um, artistic work that the Darua players will wear this coming weekend, but that you've designed something perhaps that will inspire the players and lift them perhaps to new heights on the field? Do you think it could make that much of a difference? I'm sure if the designs are explained to them uh, and Darua uh, management has uh, promised that that's what they want to do, to lift up their game. And not only the game, their lives too. And uh, for the fans, they learn about the meanings of the design and, and the core values of the Andrua team. And they also go by those core values. I'm sure we'll be in unison, the fans and the players. That's what we want to do. We want to bring the energy up. So having put in all this work and come up with the design, which from what you've told me, it's clear that the, the, the club are very satisfied with what you've done. They will be wearing this shirt at the weekend in the match against the Blues in La Toca. Will you be there to see them run out wearing your design or watching on TV? I mean, what plan do you have? The Andrua management have uh, called us up and, and told us that they'll pick us up from Zuba to take us to La Toca to watch the game. Then they'll bring us back again, me and my wife and two boys. That's uh, artist Anare Samumu, designer of the cultural round jersey that the Fijian and Drua players will be wearing when they take on the Blues in La Toca tomorrow. Meanwhile, as part of their cultural round celebrations and ahead of their match against the Rebels, Amwana Pacifica have organised a curtain raiser that will feature a women's international between Manosina Samoa, 15, and Tonga A. And in Super W... It's semi-finals weekend with the defending champions Fijiana and Drua looking to reverse a run of three defeats when they take on the unbeaten Waratahs while the Reds take on the Brumbies who wish the Fijiana every success, but it's going to be tough. 
Now, a couple of weeks ago, we told you the story of Mark Niermark, the Ni Vanuatu Australian rules footballer who came over to Queensland to do seasonal work and ended up being recruited by Manunda Hawks in the AFL Cairns competition up there in far north Queensland. Since then, he has played his first competitive game for the Hawks and scored, but unfortunately, the team lost rather heavily. Nevertheless, after taking up the sport as a 14-year-old back in Vanuatu, Mark is revelling in his new footy career. I was a little bit surprised because, you know, I was hoping to play in a team. But when I went there and played my first trial game, after that, the next game coach put me straight into the senior team. So I'm very happy with that and uh, I will work hard to be up there. I always wanted to play in a high level here in Australia. I just don't get an opportunity. So I came as a seasonal worker and I found out this opportunity. So I think if I have something the Hawks want, who knows where I'll call next. It's quite tough for you, I understand, though, because you're working in Innisfail, which is about an hour's drive from Cairns where the Hawks are placed. So getting backwards and forwards to training, that, that's not easy, is it? Our coach, he seems to understand the situation. So he told me to do my own training. He gave me a free to kick around when he has time and do some running. And I'll just meet them every Saturday for camp. Tell me a little bit about how you decided to play the game in the first place. Because Vanuatu, of course, is really a soccer nation. AFL is working hard to develop over there. But what persuaded you to play the game? It all started back when I was 14. An Australian guy who was living there, he went around all the schools and running our ski. So it happens that one day he came to our community that I'm living in and running our ski there. So I happened to get a chance to introduce to the game. I started learning the basic skills like kicking, handballing. And from there, I get selected to join a 116 team to Fiji. We went to Fiji twice. From there, I get selected to play in the Oceania team. We went to New Zealand Talent Camp. That's how I came to know footy. Uh, we've been working hard to find an awful back in Vanuatu to start a senior competition where we can start to find some senior players to train and ready for International Cup. So clearly you have ambitions to pursue the sport here in Australia. Now you've been given this chance with the Hawks in a very competitive league up there in North Queensland. But also clearly from what you're saying, you're very keen to help with the development of the game back home. Yeah, a lot of issues about seasonal workers working here. So I have a chance to join the seasonal workers. Maybe, who knows, I might change the story, you know. Maybe I can change the situation into building up good something as a seasonal worker. And just take me back to uh, the first few games that you played at the Hawks. Um, speaking to your coach, he said you were a little quiet in the first game, but then in the second game, you scored your first goal for the team. Oh, yeah. It's a really special moment for me. Our first game was like getting to know the boys, how they play and how the players in the league there play. I get some few seconds to read the games and stuff like that. And our second games, I get to know, practice those uh, things that I've learned in the previous game. Started to improve from there and uh, yeah, I'm hoping this Saturday I will try to improve again from last game we had. And what's been the reaction back home in Vanuatu from from your friends and, and family and, and I presume fellow players that you've been playing with over the years? Oh, the boys are really supportive. As you know, we don't have much uh, chance to come over and play. Some of them, they've not been playing for a couple of years due to COVID. So they, with my news back home, they're really motivated to come again and, you know, play the game. So perhaps in the not-too-distant future, there might be a, a Vanuatu team over here made up of seasonal workers like yourself. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> 
Wagner Mack uh, blazing a trail for AFL Vanuatu with the Manunda Hawks in Cairns in far north Queensland. And next up for Mark and the Hawks is another home game tomorrow, this time against uh, the North Cairns Crocs. Now, if the Oceania Football Confederation succeeds in their ambition, then a regional professional men's league is only two years away. The plan has overtaken the original concept of national leagues in a number of Pacific countries to be replaced instead by a pro competition that may feature Oceania's established top club sides playing alongside brand new franchises. But much as OFC would like to turn professional on the field, is the region actually ready for the professional game? Former Danish international player and assistant coach Fleming Seretslev has coached both Papua New Guinea and more recently Fiji's men's national team. He says while there is no shortage of talent in the islands, the existing support structure for the players isn't up to professional standards. At the moment, of course, they are not prepared, but at a certain time you have to start and uh, that's what they will have to do in uh, OEC and uh, Oceania. Because I've always said since I came to uh, the region that there are even as much talent in uh, Oceania as there are everywhere else in the world. The huge difference is that our players in the region, they don't have the same conditions as, for example, their colleagues uh, in Europe have it. So you will have to start with professional league from the bottom and it'll be a big change for players. They will be full-time professional, I suppose, because otherwise it makes no sense. But in case they become full-time professionals, it means that they are treated very well with rest, with uh, nutrition, with sleep. For sure, there'll be a very good professional league in uh, Oceania. If they're going to be treated as professionals, though, a situation like that that is affecting one of your ex-players in the PNG national side, uh, Alvin Comalong, uh, having to fundraise to get an injury fixed, that's in no way professional. That sort of situation couldn't be allowed to happen. No, of course not. It means those clubs who are participating, they must, for example, have professional health sector also. It's one of the things that is lacking in Oceania. It's that all players get the treatment they deserve, no matter if it's about the conditions for being a professional player. It's about health care, about nutrition, advices about how to rest correct, how to sleep correct. Every club having, a, of course, a, a complete staff, goalkeepers, coaches, assistant coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, doctors and physiotherapists belongs to this setup to build a, a professional club. From your experience recently in Fiji and a little while ago now, in Papua New Guinea. Do you think that the region is any way financially ready for a professional league? Do they have the money to provide all the support that is necessary for a professional player? I'm sure that every island can build a professional club. Papua New Guinea, for me, it's a really rich country. They have everything there. Fiji is a rich country too. It's all about finding maybe uh, not just one company, but finding companies who want to go together and build a professional club. Then I'm sure it's possible to do it. What do you think of the idea of the model that OFC is putting forward? Because there's been taught for a number of years now that there would be professional leagues in individual countries. Now we're looking at a regional professional league with what I assume will include brand new clubs. Yeah, for sure it will. Maybe you'll build on one of 
the uh, existing clubs. For me, it'll be more or less like national teams competing against each other. I know it's on club level, but the aim must be, for example, in Fiji, to collect all the best players in uh, one club, being able to uh, compete on high level with the other Oceania countries. And I'm sure it'll be the same in PND, in New Caledonia, and so on. And I'm sure it's possible. But for some people in the management, I mean, the owners of those clubs, maybe it'll be a bit of a surprise how many resources it takes to build a real professional club. And in the end, perhaps, is that the key to the success of such a competition? It will be the club owners, it will be the governance. And I think you and I both know that governance of sport, not just football, across the Pacific is uh, not always the greatest. No, of course, it'll be about having a really uh, good and professional uh, governance. There's also one more thing included in that, and it's the infrastructure. And when I'm saying infrastructure, I mean the pitches. For example, coming now from Fiji, to be honest, there's only one good football pitch in Fiji. And it means those clubs who will go into a professional league, they must also have a professional infrastructure. It means they must have very good pitches, maybe also not just having a, a normal uh, grass pitch, a very good uh, grass pitch. They must also have uh, artificial pitches because of the weather conditions in the region. So it's a huge investment when you are making a professional club. So how confident would you be, therefore, that whatever model OFC ultimately come up with, and there's still a lot of planning to be done, that it has a chance of success? I believe it has a chance of success, but you need to find the companies who are willing to invest in all that it takes to build a professional club. And based on your recent experience in Fiji, how soon do you think it could happen? How ready, for example, do you believe Fiji to be? I believe Fiji could be ready very, very soon. There might be some of the other countries where the organizations are not ready at the moment to build this professional club. But every island needs to have experts who can help them build up the professional club from the bottom. And in terms of the talent that you talked about in the region, we've seen some significant moves, I think, in the last few months. Uh, Brian Kaltak, the Vanuatu captain, has been doing extremely well in the A-League with the Central Coast Mariners in New South Wales. And now young Rafael Leai playing with Velej Mostar in Bosnia. He's, He's made his debut finally. He seems very confident, very talented young man. I mean, do you, do you think that finally the gates of the Pacific players are opening to the professional contracts elsewhere in the world? Yeah, I actually uh, believe it. You know, in Fiji we had Sairus and Ailambo uh, going to Czech Republic. Unfortunately, he came to a club where because of results, they actually changed the coach three times when he was there. But for me, it's obvious that Sairus, he can play in Europe and I'm sure he will get another chance this summer. Yeah, former Fiji men's national soccer coach Fleming Seretz left there. For the record, Sarusi Lombu made his international debut versus Vanuatu in March last year. Scored all the goals in a 3-0 win. He now has four caps, five goals after adding two more to his tally in the 2-1 win over New Caledonia. That was at the World Cup qualifiers in Doha again last year. It shows you how often these players get the chance to play at international level. Not often enough, but maybe he will get that chance for European club soccer. We'll see.
And uh, just a word on uh, Rugby League uh, coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, the PNG Hunters are uh, back in action in the Queensland Cup. Uh, they're in 11th spot on the ladder at the moment and they take on 14th place to Mackay Cutters in Port Moresby. And uh, fans of the Hunters certainly who are in the ground don't need reminding of what happened the last time these two sides met. It was the homecoming for the Hunters in round 20 at the end of uh, last season. Of course, they played the entire season in Australia because of the pandemic. But they had that one game. And they won it in dramatic fashion by 30 points to 28 uh, with a try in the 77th minute. So if the game is as exciting as that this weekend, I'm sure the fans will be more than happy, providing the Hunters win, of course. And I should point out that their centre, Roderick Ty, and fullback Maria Maria, they've both been invited to train with the Dolphins NRL squad over the next month as they continue their rugby league development. Uh, it's a return for Roderick Ty. He's already trained with the Dolphins during the preseason. First uh, trip to the Dolphins for Maria Maria, and a lot is uh, forecast about that particular young man. Four tries, four assists, and average running metres of 126 from five appearances so far this Queensland Cup season. And in the Ron Massey Cup in, the New, in New South Wales, Kaivedi Silttails are in Sydney to take on the ride Eastwood Hawks. That's sixth place versus fifth with both sides currently on six points. And that's it from this edition of Pacific Beat, the Friday morning sporting edition. I hope you have a great sporting weekend and your team wins. <laughs> Mine just didn't in the English Premier League and they're heading for relegation for the first time in 70-something years. You can try and work out which team I'm talking about. Pacific Beat will be back this afternoon with the afternoon edition at 5 past 3 PNG time. And then again on Monday morning, 5 past 6. Join us then as we start a new week.